Welcome to our podcast. I'm Pastor Mark Voss. Today we're privileged to listen in on a prayer that Jesus prayed the night before he died. A prayer in which he remembers us, praying not only about the time that we spend here in this life, but praying also about the eternity that will be ours when we enter into glory. Today's sermon is based on John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. Our message is entitled, Jesus Prays for You. May God bless you as you hear and take to heart the truths of his holy word. Today's gospel reading and the words of our sermon text this morning, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. Jesus prays. I am praying not only for them, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they become completely one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, the glory you gave me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world did not know you, but I knew you, and these men knew that you sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have for me may be in them and that I may be in them. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. My dear family in Christ, I just want you to know that I've been praying for you. If you've ever had someone say that to you when you were in a dark place in life, when your life was filled with some trouble or trauma, then you know the sense of encouragement and comfort that immediately came washing over you. In that moment, you knew the joy that one of your brothers or sisters in Christ had you on their mind and on their heart, took time out of their busy day to storm the throne of the Almighty on your behalf. That's a powerful and beautiful thing. To not only tell someone, I'll keep you in my prayers, but to actually do it, to pray for them. This morning, Jesus wants to tell us I've been praying for you. That's mind-blowing if you think about it. Jesus taking the time to pray for me? That's not just a nice thought. That's a teaching taught to us in God's Word. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says that Jesus is our advocate with God the Father. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. 
Romans chapter 8, verse 34, says that Jesus, the Son of God, is at the Father's right hand and is interceding for us. Jesus prays for us. And that's precisely what we find him doing in the words before us this morning from John chapter 17. Jesus prayed this prayer that Thursday night before he died. Remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples were all there, but he took Peter, James, and John along with him and told them to keep watch while he went a little further and, and prayed. He prayed, Father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken from me, let it be so, yet not as I will, but as you will. Prayed three times. But he prayed more than that in that what we call his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus, first of all, prayed for himself. He's asked the Father to glorify him as he took up the work he was about to accomplish. And then for several verses, Jesus prayed for his dear disciples. And then he went on, here in our text, I am praying not only for them, not only for the disciples, but also for those who believe in me through their message through the message shared by the apostles, written down for our learning here in God's Word, the Bible, you are one of those who believe in Jesus. Here in our text, Jesus prays for you. First of all, he prays for unity. There's strength in numbers. One single snowflake falling from the sky poses no threat to anyone. But a billion different snowflakes falling in the same spot over the course of several hours has the ability to stop traffic and cancel school and change your plans. There's strength in numbers. There's strength in unity. Congregation, we have been called to be one in Christ Jesus. Unity. And Jesus prays here for unity among all those who would believe in him as Savior. Verse 21, he said, May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Verse 22, he said, So that they may be one as we are one. Verse 23, he prays, May they be completely one. So let's note a few things about that. First of all, the fact that Jesus is praying for our unity obviously means that it's not something that comes naturally. We recognize that, right? Sin divides people. Sin makes people want to look only out for themselves and not for others. Sin tempts us to not care for others or to care about others or to be at all concerned about what they think or how they feel. Sin causes people to resent some of the very people in the world that the Lord has called upon us to love as we love ourselves. We certainly see all kinds of evidence of that in our fractured world today. Sin divides. Let that never be true here, brothers and sisters, because that's what we are. We are brothers and sisters, united as one in Christ Jesus. We are family. Jesus is praying for our oneness, for our unity. And let's be clear, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only effective, truly uniting agent that there is. 
What I mean is that Jesus here not only prayed for our unity, he went on to pay for our unity. He gave us his life. He suffered and died, not just for a few fine folks, or not just for people here or there, or not just for people of of one particular class. He died for all people, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter what their socioeconomic status No matter what their opinion about social issues, he died for all. And through the gospel, the Lord gathers this very diverse group of individuals into one family, his family, and unites us in himself. Believers, we together share the closest human bond that exists anywhere. It's an otherworldly union. We are one in Christ. Communion of saints. In Christ, we quite literally have a unity, a oneness that will last forever and ever. And when we focus on our unity together, we find it so much easier to love one another, even when we might feel differently about things not spelled out for us in God's word. But let's never let things divide us. Don't ever make your life in the body of Christ all about you. Let's look out for one another. Let's worship together, let's work together, let's pray together, let's plan together, let's rejoice together, let's mourn together, let's love each other, care about each other, help each other, because we're one in Christ. But did you catch the expressed reason that Jesus gave for praying for our unity? It's right there in verse 21. He said, may they, believers, may they also be one in us so that... The world may believe that you sent me. In other words, the mission that Christ Jesus gave to his church on earth is to carry the good news about Jesus into all the world. And when we're one in Christ, then we're poised and ready to do that work. Because we're one, not just with a feeling we have about each other, but we're, we're one, truly united in God's inerrant, holy, infallible word. It's the word that unites us. Author A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, used a, a neat illustration. He said that a hundred different pianos, all tuned by the same tuning fork, are then also tuned to each other. They're one, he said, because they're tuned. Tuned not to each other, but tuned to that one tuning fork. The tuning fork that has joined us as one is the word of the Lord our God, the gospel. And when we gather around that word and allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into that word and its truths, we are then in tune with each other. So let's make this wonderful unity evident to the world. Let's join together in our efforts, in our purpose, in our calling to tell more and more people about Jesus. People are hurting right now. They're looking for some kind of a unifying love. We've got that love here in the greatest love story ever told, the Word of God, God's love for us in Christ Jesus. Let's go with the gospel so that others may join us in this this wonderful unity. That night, the night before he died, with all that Jesus had on his mind and on his heart, Jesus took time to pray for us. What a wonderful 
comforting thought that, that Christ Jesus prayed to his heavenly Father for our unity. But we go on to see in this text, he prayed not only for our unity, but he also prayed that you may share in his glory. Picture a basketball player playing in the biggest game of his life. He's playing for a a national championship. He gets the ball as the clock winds down and, and hits the winning basket as the time expires. He jumps around and celebrates with all of his teammates and all of the the fans and coaches. And in the midst, at the height of all of this joy, a reporter pulls him aside and asks him about that winning shot. And he says, you know, I've been thinking about this, working for this, dreaming about this all my life. I was made for this very moment. Okay, fine. Now, think for a moment of someone living at the opposite end of that extreme joy. A couple of years ago, my wife and I found ourselves sitting in a church waiting for a funeral to begin. The daughter of a friend of mine in her early 20s, with her whole life ahead of her, was tragically instantly killed in a car accident. It was heartbreaking to watch as Her father, her mother, their two remaining children filed into church and took their place in the pew. I couldn't even imagine the the unbearable pain that they must have been experiencing in that moment. As I thought about that, a verse came to me. I reached to the pew Bible in front of me and I opened up to this chapter, John 17, and I read one of the verses of our text this morning, verse 24 where the Lord Jesus prayed, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. Now think about that. When a loved one dies, especially suddenly and unexpectedly, these raw emotions and questions come washing over us. Lord, how could you have allowed this to happen? Lord, why? Lord, this seems far too soon. She had her whole life ahead of her. Sometimes we hear people trying to make sense of things like that by saying things such as, well, apparently God needed another angel up there in heaven to help him. We can set that one aside, can't we? We don't turn into angels when we die. We remain ourselves and yet in a a perfect and glorified state for all eternity. And God, who is the Almighty, for whom nothing is impossible, needs no help from any mere mortals. Sometimes we just find ourselves saying, well, maybe I'll just have to accept the fact that I'll never really understand why the Lord allowed this. Those are honest and understandable reactions. Could I offer, though, a different reaction? When a Christian, when a fellow believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is suddenly, or even not so suddenly, called from this life to heaven, that's an answer to the prayer 
that Jesus prayed in our text. Father, I want those who have given me to be with me where I am so that they may see my glory. Friends, when our heart trusts in Christ, and only in Christ, and when we take our final breath and in the very next moment find ourselves looking at Jesus standing there, welcoming us into our eternal mansion with open arms, that's when we can rightly say, I was made for this very moment. Because that's true. That's why God made you. That's why God remade you when he brought you to faith in the Lord Jesus as Savior. That's why Jesus got up off of his knees that Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane and allowed himself to be taken into custody. That's why Jesus stretched out his arms and died the following day on Good Friday. That's why Jesus Christ rose from the dead on Easter Sunday so that he could be our confidence no matter what. It was all because Jesus loves you so much that he did whatever it took so that you someday may be with him and see him in his glory, a glory that we can't even fathom but will be ours when God's time is right. That's why he prayed for your salvation. That's what he's praying for here in verse 24. He's praying for you to leave this world and enter into the glory, the heaven that he's prepared for you. That's why the very next day he paid for your salvation with his very life because he wants you to be with him. That's why we don't ever have to feel sad for a Christian in a casket. We feel sad for their loved ones and all who will mourn their passing. But we know what's become of that Christian. That's why we don't have to shake an angry fist at heaven and demand to know why God took this person from our estimation way too soon. Because they live in glory with Jesus, the answer to his prayer, and they see his glory. Maybe you've experienced it during a tough time in your life. When a brother or sister in Christ came up to you, put an arm around you and said, I just want you to know that I've been praying for you. And friends, let's keep doing that more and more for each other. But Jesus, the King of love, prays for you. He prays that you would be one with the Father and then died to make it so. He prays that we would be one, one in the faith. And then he gives us his word, that, that spiritual tuning fork to unite us in all that we believe and teach and confess. He prays that we may share in the glory of being his witnesses as we go out into the sin-ruined world and give people the message of life in Jesus Christ, our Savior, and then blesses our efforts as we share the gospel. He prays that we would be with him in heavenly glory forever. 
And then he sends us his Holy Spirit to work faith in our hearts and to keep us in the faith until we receive that crown of victory. By God's rich grace, believer, may you continue to find encouragement and joy in knowing this, that Jesus prays for you. Amen.